Hello and welcome to another edition of uh, The Decades, the flashback series that we've been doing on the Tigers Down Under, where we look back at Hull City through the 2010s. Um, with me, I have two guests. Uh, we originally advertised just Brad, but we've also got Logan with us. But I'll say welcome to Brad first. Hi, gents. G'day. And also welcome to Logan. Alex, Brad, how are you both? Very good. Very good. Um, look, it's been a very fun series to do these. I thought over the international break we would get into another episode of the 2010s just to sort of keep us going with no football for the weekend um, coming up. Um, and we're up to the fifth episode, which is the start of the 2012-13 season, which is, of course, when Steve Bruce joined us um, as our new manager. So we'll we'll get started on, on that one with um, a little bit of context on how the season began. And I guess it's probably even before Bruce joins and there's a bit to talk about with um, the Nick Barmby sacking. And <clears throat> my memory of that, and, and I'll get each of your thoughts on this as well, but my memory of that was um, it was sort of the first negative or, or sort of murmurings of issues with the Alums as owners because up until that point they'd been fantastic. They brought in you know, McLean for a million pounds and things like that where they'd been splashing money around and everyone thought, how good is this? You know, we're on an upward trend. And then there was the Barmby comments about no money being available in January and, and all of that. And then before we knew it, he was sacked. And, and as sort of a golden child of the club, it was a bit of a um, surprising sort of action to be taken by, by the Alums. And that was probably the first time that we really thought, oh, geez, what's going on here? What are they, what are they trying to do with, um, with the managerial position? But Brad, I, I guess from your point of view, how, how did you view the, the sacking of Barmby? I guess in hindsight, it all sort of worked out in the end. But at the time, how did it make you feel? Oh, look, I think like most people, when you look back at who and where and how, you sort of felt, how could you let someone like that go? Um, who meant everything at that point in time. Um, but interestingly enough, although, again, and I don't want to sort of draw back, but now we know more than we actually do, but it's interesting that the whole issue with the owners has always sort of plagued us since then. But interestingly enough, Bruce did seem to have a budget that came with the job whereas Barnby was arguing that he didn't have one. So in the space of a few months, there was quite a, a shift there. But um, I think most people were probably sort of expected that the loyalty that was shown was going to be obviously what got Barnby through and he would take it to the promised land and all that. But after he got over that shock, I think Bruce's appointment was something that most of us felt like, oh, OK, this is not who we would expect him to have got. Yeah, I mean, he. I think he was coming from the Sunderland job. He'd just been sacked there. That was two or three seasons in a row in the Premier League with them. So a manager of a pretty high calibre. I mean, Logan, it is always a bit funny when you've got a rookie manager in charge or, or a manager without very much experience. They don't get much money to use and frustrates the fans, frustrates the manager. They leave. Suddenly you bring in a big-name manager and suddenly the money's available. It does seem as if it's probably a bit of not necessarily confidence in Barnby's ability to find players, although... I do like, and we'll talk in a bit about players that came in, I do like that the first signing Bruce made was Yukupovic, who was actually meant to have been a Barmby signing. Um, but, yeah, what, what did you make of the Barmby sacking? Yeah, look, I, I think one of the things that I've, I've learned about this club and, and the time that, you know, we've supported City is, and I guess it's it's probably not a cliche to say that um, the, the UK as a, as a footballing community are very traditionalist. And when you've got a player like Brad kind of touched on, like Barmby and, how much of a um, you know a cult figure he was around the club, and the circumstances that he took over, 
Um, you know, obviously the it didn't take much for the fans to get behind him, particularly after his immediate result. So I think that that was, you know, that was the hard part with saying bye to Bambi um, and why that kind of felt like a, a dagger to the heart to so many people. But as you mentioned, like, if we, if we have a bit of a history lesson and remember why Bambi took over, it was simply because of the, you know, the disruption with Pearson leaving unexpectedly. So the, the signal of, of Bruce coming in, and as you mentioned, being given a little bit more backing by the by the owners, Bruce certainly came in, and not just with pedigree, but also with a plan, and it was a longer-term plan, whereas I don't think that when, uh, you know, Nick Barbie took over as caretaker manager, that was with the view of a long-term plan. So perhaps that may justify the, um, you know, the alum speaking at the time and, and how it ended up, uh, you know, becoming what it did. Yeah, and I remember at the time, I think it was Bruce's first press conference, uh, sort of came in and said he was signing a three-year deal and the plan was to get to the Premier League in three years, which in hindsight now looks, uh, it's quite funny looking back on how, how long-term they were viewing that. But as you say, it showed that he was coming in with that plan and, and clearly had that plan in place with the owners to say, we bring in these players, we bet in, um, bet, bet in the squad, get them developing and sort of progressively take them up through the division into the Premier League. Um, it came a lot quicker than that in the end. But, but Brad, I guess, um, you know, positive signing, as I sort of already touched on, positive to bring in Bruce, who, who was probably uh, almost our highest pedigree manager that I can think of in our, in our um, history to an extent because, uh, well, at least in terms of recent um, managerial experience, I mean, having just managed in the Premier League, you think of even Phil Brown, who up until that point and probably still is considered our greatest ever manager, hadn't didn't have that sort of pedigree behind him so so bruce's appointment was really i I, like i remember when it was announced just thinking geez you know this is first of all this is a manager i've heard of it's not just some random lower leagues manager that we've plucked from nowhere um this is somebody who players will take a bit of interest in and put a notice of and will actually sign for for that manager's name no i agree and i mean when you think about just like you mentioned there about the pedigree you had what barmby before him then pearson um, so other, I mean, other than obviously Phil Brown, you know, he's the best one in the premiership. Oh, Ian no, Dowie, of course, Ian, you can't forget Ian him. Ian Dowie, how could I forget Ian Dowie? <laughs> um, you know, from a names perspective, he he was the biggest. He's the biggest that we've we'd seen arrive at the club, um, and probably uh, at that point in time, probably was the only time you maybe even thought, okay, maybe the owners are on to the right track here because they're going to bring a guy in who's going to bring all of this. Premiership experience, and you would expect over time a back a back room with him. Um, but as we've seen with different managers, different times, the contacts they've got and who they're able to swing into play pretty quickly, um, as we'll touch on, you know, obviously the signings and that just shows that intent. And that's why it's still very interesting that Barney effectively left after having that hissy fit with the owners to some extent, and that was obviously all about budget. You know, Steve Bruce wouldn't have come cheap. I think at the moment, at the time they signed him, it wasn't. Do you remember how long the deal it was? It was decent for Bruce. Yeah, I think it was a. I think it was a three-year deal. Yeah. Yeah, so you can imagine his wages would have been well above average for a team in the championship. That's for sure. Um, and yeah, so maybe that was the sign that the owners were fair dinkum. And. Um, I think probably, as we've seen with different managers at different times, and that might be even why 
Bruce walked into a dream job. Is Barnby, we know, is pretty confident. The squad itself um, was never probably going to do it on its own. But having someone like him come in with his contacts means you're now starting to line up the key position players and generally nearly everyone I think he would have brought in or had contact with has probably either played premiership or championship a lot anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. And and Logan, I guess similar for you, um, what was your, I guess, sort of first impression of, of bringing Bruce into the club? As I, as I sort of said before, I mean, you know, big name manager, um, and as Brad's sort of saying there as well, you know, you bring in the players of a certain pedigree. We saw it almost immediately, I think I remember, um, even before Elmo was linked, I think there was um, maybe it was Connor Wickham or someone like that. There was those sorts of Premier League players who played for him at Sunderland where you suddenly think, you know, geez, we, we actually could be linked to some of these pretty decent players. Yeah, that's exactly right. And look, that was, you know, as you remember, like we had had some experience in the Premier League, but we never really built a core that kind of stayed on. I, I felt like from the time we got relegated um, to the time we we did a bit of yo-yoing, but it definitely so, uh, felt like a, a downward spiral until Bruce took over and, as you said, kind of, you know, touched on, brought in some of those notable players and some, uh, like, incredible signings, like you, you said with uh, with Elmo. And I remember when he signed Alex Bruce as well, that very, very quickly that was one that was met with a kind of um, a somewhat negativity from, from the fans thinking, oh, here we go, you know, signing his son. But, I mean... Looking back in hindsight, Alex Bruce was a, a fantastic signing for City, uh, particularly at a you know at a at a budget cost. So, uh, look, it was it was great for to see Steve Bruce get signed and to see what he did um, instantly. And um, what I really enjoyed about him was he built that core of of players and particularly the the English and Irish lads that um, you know still are very fond about the club now. When you you think about Myler and um, you know, particularly Myler, he's kind of the the, the face that, that I associate with this, but he's quite outspoken on Twitter and has, you know, has made no secret to how passionate he still is about the club. And so, um, you know, it was great to see that Steve Bruce, you know, knew what it took and his record at getting teams promoted from the championship is, you know, is fantastic. And so it was, it was a great signing at the time and, you know, and history tells us that it was, was an exceptional signing for, for the, the uh, story of the club. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, I guess then we'll talk about a few of the departures from the club first before we look at those signings in particular. But we did, uh, first of all, I think we sort of alluded to in the last episode as well that, um, of course, we saw Richard Garcia depart, depart the club. Uh, Cameron Stewart went out on loan to Burnley as well, which, I mean, um, I guess it's a little bit funny to think of that now that, first of all, you know, Stewart being associated with a club like Burnley, I mean, flashy, pacey, young winger, going to Burnley doesn't quite seem to, to click in your mind, but I guess Burnley were a little bit of a different club back then. Um, but I guess I guess it's almost, it, it almost summarises how that season looked, that we actually didn't lose too many players. And if anything, we just built and strengthened the squad from what it was. Um, Brad, I mean, I guess there's not, a, there's not a whole lot to say. I guess Garcia leaving the club was pretty significant, um, was, uh, you know, an integral part in that first Premier League campaign for us. Um, and then, of course, returning from, I think he went straight from Hull back to Australia with Melbourne Hart, perhaps, I think. But, but yeah, I mean, he was probably the biggest name departure from the club that summer. Yeah, and I think... Um, I, I can't remember being overly upset with anyone that had left at, at the time. I mean, I think we probably got carried away with who was coming in. But I think um, it probably showed you as well that, that the squad itself probably didn't need to necessarily... Uh, 
be of a huge size, but it just needed to get the quality right up. And Garcia probably, I can't actually remember where he went after that, did he? No, he came to us from Colchester, didn't he? Yeah, I think I have a feeling he went to... I'll have a look at it. I think he went out to... um, I would say Melbourne City, if I if I had yeah. to yeah. guess. But, yeah, it definitely was an A-League club. And I remember thinking what a astute signing that was for an A-League club at the time because Richie Garcia was still, you know, doing a job to ask when he was playing. Yeah. Would it have, yeah. Would it have been Glory or did he go to Glory after? No. Glory no, was that was afters, yeah. I think you're probably right. It would have been when Melbourne City yeah. was called Melbourne Heart. Basically. Yeah, that's it. I'm just having a look at it oh, now. Yeah. So he left, he left us and went to Melbourne Heart. Uh, then we went to, I forgot he went to Sydney FC for a bit, but yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so I think probably looking at looking at who actually went out, I mean, Stewart at the time wasn't setting the world on fire um, and probably realistically at that time, Garcia was probably not going to hold a regular 37 spot. Um, so, so both of those sort of made, made sense, um, I suppose. And I remember at the time, I think we, we had a few of those Premier League potential starlets that had sat around under Phil Brown and never got anywhere that I believe we, we would have loaned or transferred a few of those out. Yeah, I think Cullen um, and, and yes. and those sorts of guys, yeah. Yeah, um, and that yeah. was always interesting because Cullen was someone that like, well, I personally really rated and thought, this guy's going to be a superstar. And I think we loaned him out to someone and he was okay, but he wasn't a superstar. <laughs> he ended up um, somewhere. I think he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he ended up at Blackpool at some point. That's probably the only club yeah, I remember. Okay. Maybe it was Luton or something like that. But yeah, yeah no, you're right. Like, I remember um, seeing him when I went over for the um, game against Millwall a couple of seasons before this, where um, I think Robbie Curran made his debut and Cooper yeah. was, oh, sorry, uh, Cullen was, you know, all over the game and he was probably our one shining light. And you just, like, yeah, memories of those, what, uh, Cullen, Cooper, Canny, the three C's, and then Devitt as well as what was was pretty decent, and a couple of Featherstone as well. There's a couple around yeah. that Premier League squad who looked like they were going to be pretty decent, and then just sort of petered away. Obviously, Cooper's now back in the Premier League, but um, at the time, they you know, sort of went the long way around. Yeah, no, well, I think that's that. I, I still remember it. There was a decent clean out of that younger talent, which um, at the time you didn't think anything of it. They weren't playing. They weren't doing regular games or anything like that, but it was more just maybe a sign of, okay, we're, we're going up, this is where we're going to the squad. Yeah, certainly. Um, but I guess, as you said, I mean, it was more about the players that came in to the side. And Logan, um, you sort of touched on already Alex Bruce coming into the side, being signed by his father and, um, you know, to some extent, quite rightly, being questioned as to whether it was just father signing son or whether he would actually add anything. And he certainly did and, and continued to add plenty once we hit the Premier League as well. Um, it's hard to actually put my finger on who was probably the most uh, exciting slash successful of our permanent signings. When you look even just at the three pictured there, I mean, Stephen Quinn hit the ground running, as did Sonia Luco in that season. Um, unfortunately, that season getting cut short for Luco with injuries. Um, but both of them really offered a whole lot. And I think Aluko was a free signing and Quinn was, I think, signed for peanuts really from Sheffield United as well. So, I mean, just looking at the permanent signings, first of all, before we look at the loan signings, but what did you make of these guys? Yeah, look, the the, the Aluko signing was the one that I remember got me the most excited. And I think it's because, um, you know, we hadn't exactly, with the exception of Matty Fright, who was, was quite prolific, 
we there was always an argument that City was still kind of you know not securing any emphatic victories. And I do remember the four-one win that we had over Millwall uh, this season being a real kind of line in the sand moment because I just couldn't remember blowing teams out of the water, um, you know, like that previously. Um, and I remember when Aluko signed, I just thought this is this is a player that gives us a lot of confidence and you know can almost almost guarantee goals. And so the excitement that that brought me at the time was good. But as you mentioned, I mean, he he did so, score some uh, fantastic goals for the club and he was a fantastic player to watch, but um, he was riddled with injuries. And I think that's probably, you know, one of the things that, you know, stands out when we reflect on his City career. But you're right, Stephen Quinn, he had a hand in some influential goals. Um, you know, the the Chef United game, he was obviously in the cup, he was obviously um, pivotal. But yeah, score, scoring... Um, quite early. And I remember that because I hadn't really heard much about him. And I remember just seeing this, uh, you know, tiny ginger sprinting over to to celebrate with the, uh, with the Tigers faithful and just seeing this real um, confidence and air of, of joy about, you know, playing a playing at city and, and really enjoying his time there. And as you mentioned, Alex Bruce, when I, when I say him, uh, I know that this is probably a optimistic thing. And I, I'm not sure that too many city fans will, will criticize me for this, but I still believe if he didn't get injured in the FA Cup final, we hold on. Yeah. I just I thought oh, he was and, and even his header where he hit the crossbar, if that had gone in and we got three nil, um, it's a completely different game as well, certainly. So he and you know, putting Luis Suarez in his pocket as well when we played Liverpool and, and, and having some pretty solid games like that as well. Um Brad, I mean, we already sort of touched on Yakubovic was actually the official first signing for Steve Bruce and was um, was essentially lined up as a Nick Barnby signing and he was not really thought of much. And especially after that, I think it was the Chef Wednesday game where he um, went down clutching his head, making him you know, supposedly injured, um, sort of got him offside with the supporters, but really worked his way back into the limelight a couple of seasons later in our um, second Premier League spell and end of the championship as well. Um as well as Nick Proschwitz, you know, 2.6 million record signing at the time, signaling, signaling our intent and, and our ambitions, but, uh, you know, scoring some reasonably important goals as well, despite not really being a prolific success on the field. And then also Abdullah Faye okay, signing from um, West Ham as well. So talking about that Millwall game and the Bolton games as well, where Faye and, and Quinn and everyone else was scoring a bucket load of goals at the time as well. Um, a lot of really important permanent signings that we made that season well there was and Faye was actually a big one um, knowing that he had uh, done a real job previously at West Ham and he was also you know he was effectively a household name um, and then obviously having someone like him come in was well sort of showed pretty good intent and, and Logan's point about Alex Bruce couldn't be more accurate I, I think we talked previously about it but I'd love to see Alex Bruce stats of him starting games and what the win-loss ratio was actually like. Because um, even in that Premier League season, <coughs> excuse me, he was um, not just with Suarez, but there was other games as well where he was he, he was really good and probably shook the moniker of being dad's little boy, if you like. Um, but the other one, which was interesting, which you just pointed in there, was Quinn. At the time, never heard of him. Knew nothing about him, obviously, Bruce, he did. Um, because when you look at his impact at the club, although he wasn't a standout, you wouldn't say he was in the best three or four players over that window that Bruce was there. Geez, he played some good games and was very, especially that FA a Cup final. I know we're going further down the track. But for a guy who barely, you know, 
was a, he, was the household he, he was name. Almost, he was brilliant. Yeah, and he was almost the most important player in that cup final in the sense that yeah. him playing in that fluid forward role was the reason that we were able to create those chances that led to those first two goals because Arsenal just didn't know how to cope with him. Exactly. He, he was like some unknown starlet who all of a sudden defenders didn't know how to defend and yeah, so there was a lot, a lot in that. I mean, obviously, I think probably the biggest thing that came with Quinn, and that's probably what Bruce would have seen, is, is that although he, you know, been around for a while, he clearly had some real adaptability to him. Um, and back then, at that age, he was probably a prime age to get between thirty games a season out of. Um, but yeah, the, the signings he made. I mean. Which you could argue for the price, well, but like you said, he did score some important goals. I wouldn't say he was as prolific as we'd expect him to be. Um, but nearly all of the signings, there was none there that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's right. And I think that was sort of the key that season was most, if not all, of the signings worked out, which was um, a big difference from um, previous seasons where we'd, we'd made a few a bigger uh bigger money signings that hadn't really worked out for us um, either. Um, oh, I thought I might have had some pictures in there of our loan, our loan signings, but um, I'll, I'll jump to then again, Logan, on the loan signings that we brought in because they were almost just as important. Um, Elmo, of course, joining, we sort of talked about him, um, name on the back of this shirt, which I think is probably a bit of a gamble for myself at that point to, um, to have a loan as the name on the back of my shirt, but um, certainly worked out and I think made the record number of consecutive appearances for us, at least in the Premier League, if not um, ever. I think he didn't quite make it to the overall record. Um, Robbie Brady rejoining on loan in November from Manchester United, I think signed permanently in in January or or at the end of the season as well. David Myler, who we've already touched on as well, another really important loan signing from Sunderland. So it was, as you said, there was that Irish core and, and just sort of bringing in these players from United, from Sunderland, from a couple of different Premier League clubs really gave us that core of players that, that kicked on and, and propelled us up to the Premier League. Oh, absolutely. And I think that is just testament to the Steve Bruce era. I mean, when we look back at this season and we've done a few of these, you know, highlights, uh, catch-up episodes as we reflect and and get nostalgic, it's it's really hard to understate just how important this season was in the, you know, in the, in the upcoming years and how critical it was for, for what we built, um, not just then, but also for the success that we tasted in the Premier League and also the cup runs um, without, without many of these players that just doesn't happen. And uh, you know, just thinking back and, and seeing what Steve Bruce did then beyond adding to this core um, this was kind of the beginnings of, of what was to come. And, you know, we talk about Harry Maguire and Robbo being added to the squad and, and we know, you know, how the rest of those stories go. But th- these signings at the time, you know, there was no real superstars coming in. This was, you know, pure scouting uh, done at its at its finest. And, you know, to have the foresight to go and get uh, players like Robbie Brady and um, obviously enjoyed their time there because, as you said, they were loan spells that, that turned into permanent signings and, you know, such as testament to, to Steve Bruce. But uh, just talking about this season now kind of, you know, really, really brings back the warm and fuzzies because we realise what what was to come and just how good things were um, as they got underway. Yeah, this certainly felt like the start of a golden era for the club. Um, it was sort of that core group of players that, I mean, we sort of touched on, I think, probably in the previous episodes as the changing of the guard from Garcia leaving the club is, is pretty much the last of that first 08 to 2010 
Premier League spell and then leading into this second spell in 2013 through to 2015. Um, and then, you know, secondary sort of spell a couple of years later. But Brad, I mean, looking back on that start of the season, we've already talked about a couple of the results, but that 4-1 win over Millwall, where we're up 4-0 at half time, the 3-1 win over Bolton, who at that point we were a recently relegated Premier League club, um, as well as I think there was the 3-2 win over Leeds, um, a couple of, you know, might have been a week later as well. It was our first win at Ellen Road since 1987. It was, it was, from the start of the season, we just kind of got going. I think for the first month, it was a bit of a slow start, pretty low scoring, sort of, um, I guess, sort of typical of the Nigel Pearson days in terms of not being able to score a whole lot of goals. And then we just got to that Bolton game and, and everything just sort of seemed to click into place. And we started to be a much more free scoring attacking side, um, at least until Luco's injury anyway. But um, it just felt like there was a, a lot of momentum from the start of that season. Yeah, and I think probably if you look at all the players here, that, that, that were brought in, they're all sort of very creative. I mean, even some of the more, I mean, I won't say Alex Bruce, but um, more so like, you know, Eurolucos, even Faye on the ball was very solid and could pass. So I think probably it may have shown just what you were saying there, the first month where it was probably results-wise uh, wasn't that exciting and obviously dropped a game or two, but into that second month or third month, whatever it was, to then just go bang, bang, bang. And I think the goals just keep coming and it wasn't just one prolific goal scorer um but we we had set pieces covered we had guys who could hit the ball we had guys who could create we had all sorts of options everywhere which meant that we probably had to be watched moving forward all over the park whereas we probably haven't i mean even you go back to the Phil brown era we relied on Giovanni to score goals from long range. We never really looked like we were going to get in behind defences all the time, but I think that's when it actually started to click, and that's probably where the confidence just ran away with it as well. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, and Logan, I mean, like you look at that form table in that first half of the season, and there's a lot of green. There's not a, you know, there's not even many draws. There's only two draws in that first, or three draws in that first half of the season, which is a, a pretty incredible stat when you think about it. When you know you sort of associate the Steve Bruce sides with a bit more our defensive football but this was the positive side of Steve Bruce it was it was the side that we then saw again in the second Premier League season when you've started to accumulate that strong squad and he can actually get a side playing quite attacking strong football um and and there were just some remarkable results in that first half of the season yeah there really was and I mean uh you know I, I must admit that before we went to, to air I did have a, a quick browse and, and look at the results table across the league and it's amazing how many of the games I actually still remember quite quite vividly because of the the manner that we actually won in. And I also, I mean, I was fortunate enough to to be there. It was the first uh, first season that I experienced, uh, you know, city football in the flesh. And I remember going to the first game was in uh, the beginning of December when it was a two 0 win over Huddersfield Town, and just finally going there. And um, it was kind of that Christmas period was very prolific for us. Uh, we had a really, really good patch of football, but it was the first time that I think I really genuinely started to feel, um, you know, we're a very good chance of being promoted here. And as you mentioned, it's because of the platform that was laid, um, you know, at the beginning of the season and throughout that first half of the year before, you know, booming uh, booming over the Christmas break. But I remember Steve Bruce in his, in his press conferences was always very, uh, very quick to kind of, you know, pull things down and bring everyone back to earth. And he's when uh, when Burnsy would interview him and and try and build a bit of hype. 
um, I think he's he's saying was something about let's let's see how we're we're going. Uh, let's see where we are when uh, when the daffodils come up, and he's you know referring to to next summer. So I, I do I do always remember that kind of push pull. Bruce was always trying to downplay things, keep everyone level headed, and um, you know we know we know what ends up happening in the season. But yeah, really impressive, and there was some great great football. And as I said, a lot of goals being scored too, which um you know wasn't wasn't exactly something that we were always used to. Yeah, certainly. And, and and I was the same. I was just thinking about this before we went to air. And this is certainly the first season that I have really clear memories of a lot of the games just because of so many positive memories associated with them. And I think for me, the game I probably think of is the, the 4-1 four, four against Millwall where we were 4-0 up at half time. And I thought to score four goals and a half is just such an un-City-like thing to do, <laughs> um, especially against the Millwall side who, who are pretty competitive at that point of, the, at that point of time as well. Um, Brad, was there a particular result that probably stood out for you or a particular game that, that you can remember quite clearly from that first half of the season that really thought, really made you think, wow, you know, geez, we could actually get promoted here? Yeah, look, I think uh, without a doubt, the Leeds game is probably the one that stood out the most, mainly because of who, who we were playing. But um, it was actually the fact that just the way we strung some games together. So, um, I know it was the Bolton and Millwall games were about a week or two apart, but it was around that time that you just started to maybe believe that, okay, we're not bottom half, um, we're top half and could really sort of push on. And I think you're right, Bolton, Bolton was definitely a game remembering back, although I don't remember much of it, the fact that that's when you started to believe, well, okay, we could actually do this here. Um, and it's not just... Oh, you've got a new manager, I will bring some players in. It started to be a little bit of belief, but probably the biggest game was definitely the Leeds game. To do it away was always the pinnacle. Um, and at those times, you know, Leeds had probably just started to expect that they were going to get back to the top flight before us again. And um, to probably not labour on it too much, we put a real damper on it, and that's probably um, the key. But there was just a good run there for a while where you we were beating, we weren't beating the, uh, no disrespect, but we weren't beating a, a Peterborough or a, even a Barnsley. We were beating, you know, Bolton or Leeds or Millwall clubs that we really had to beat that we always struggled to in championship years. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned there the, the we, you know, we weren't beating a Peterborough or so on. And I'm just looking at the results and remembering that 3 1 loss to Peterborough. And, and that was actually the night of the, um, the AFL grand final where I was in Melbourne for the uh, the Swans game in 2012. And I remember being out at 2am or whatever time it would have been when we were playing Peterborough and checking my phone and seeing the result. And, you know, I confess I wasn't too fussed about the result at that point in time. My thoughts were with my other sporting team, but um, that was the sort of result that could have sort of brought us back to earth and, and potentially derailed a pretty positive start to the season. But, um, and, and then we lost the following game against Blackpool as well, but then, bounced back quite effectively with wins over Chef Wednesday and Ipswich Town, where I think that, yeah, that, that was the Ipswich Town game where um, Proshwitz, I mean, we talked before about Proshwitz not scoring many goals, but scoring important goals, um, got his brace off the bench in the 74th and 93rd minutes to um, to earn us a pretty remarkable sort of um, three points against Ipswich in that game and, and to sort of get us back on track after a bit of a, a sticky patch. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at some of those results and, and who we were playing and, and beating and I mean, even that Birmingham game, from memory, that was the game where Aluko just looked absolutely unplayable. And um, I think it might have actually been around then where he got injured. But 
um, for a while there, we were just looking so free scoring and, um, and and could just take on anyone. And Logan, I mean, I guess looking at that final game of the first half of the season against Leeds, uh, 29th of December, where we were able to finish the se- well, finish the year, I should say, in second place in the table with, I mean, a lot of City supporters look back on that game as almost the best we've best football we've ever played in the sense that we've just the most complete the team has looked in the way that we just dismantled Leeds in that game. And um, uh, Evans and Myler getting on the score sheet in that one, but it was really a, a statement win as well. Yeah, absolutely it was. And I, I remember as well, I was, I was at this game and it was a fantastic game to be at, but we didn't score our goals until the second half. But like you said, it we, we never really looked in trouble that game. I was like, it was always going to be a matter of, of, of when. And um, yeah, it was, it was actually really nice to see, you know, such a comprehensive victory over Leeds, particularly as, you know, Brad already talked about the first game against them and winning 3-2, but then to to bring them back to to the KC and and just you know devour them really was was such a, a a pivotal moment I think and particularly as it was kind of um, separated by a really rich uh, run of form. Um, I also do have a, a slight story about the the match afterwards and um, I was I was in Edinburgh for for New Year's Eve and uh, did the the long journey of driving from Edinburgh across to Blackpool for the New Year's Day nil or draw. And I would have to say that that's the the longest travel for the most meaningless result in the in the <laughs> sport that I've that I've ever had to encounter. So, um, you know, I I just uh, I still to this day wonder whether I made the right decision. And it was great to to go to Blackpool and to see Bloomfield uh, Bloomfield Road in all its glory. But for Neil Law, it's a it's a long it's, uh, a, long it's a long 10, 11 hour return trip. Fair enough. Yeah, no, uh, that that's uh, that'd be an interesting one to. It, it is always a bit of a gamble. I've always thought, you know, I think um, the following season when I bought my tickets, someone over there to watch City play, and you think to yourself, "Ooh, you know, I hope I'm not going over and just going to get a nil-nil or, or watch us get belted or something like that." It's always a bit of a gamble, but uh, look, it all paid off in the end. Um, I guess closing thoughts from yourself, Brad, before we wrap this one up. Um, look, obviously without giving too much away for the second half it's it was a really good time to be a supporter you started to get some belief back you thought after the brown era and all the success that we had that that couldn't be topped and you, you also started to think that the hangover of wage bill and and transfer issues around those premier years were going to be with us for 30 years and we're never going to get back there so i think that belief started to come back and, and probably the interesting one which I do remember when you just mentioned about Kit um, with Elmo's kit for a minute I remember at the start of the season being really disappointed with that kit and not not that I didn't like it and how it looked but it was more the fact that hey we've gone away from the stripes again yeah and that was me being the traditionalist things like that and I was actually reminded by my old man at the time that do you know the last time we got promoted from the championship, we dropped the stripes for the first time and in the championship, of course, and went up. So that's when you, just as a little side point, if you like, that's when you start going, oh, yeah, and you know what it's like. You guys are the same. You get obsessed with these little fine points and say, oh, well, okay. I didn't want to remind yeah. them that we obviously wore the, 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 well, I call it the bullard shirt, and that had the really weak stripes on it, and we got relegated. But his point was that when we're in the championship and we got motored, we dropped the stripes. So maybe that's maybe that's the omen they're going for this season with the yeah. uh, with the stripe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that actually. That was right. That the um, 
the years we dropped the stripes, we did all right. Although um, in saying that, what was it? The 2010-2021 season with the uh, Tiger Claw marks across the shirt uh, got relegated. But you could, yeah. <laughs> up until that point, yep. it had been a pretty good omen when we dropped the stripes. That's right. Um, yeah. And Logan, Logan, uh, closing thoughts from yourself? Yeah, there's one fixture that still bugs me to this day. And it was, you, you will remember it when I bring it up. It was when we played Burnley um, at, at the KCOM. And Dean Marnie, the pork chop, scored a goal and celebrated like he just won the, the World yeah. Cup for yeah. And I remember that being such a sour point for the City fans because as far as we were all aware, there was never any ill feelings towards Dean Marnie. And, you know, one of the days where footballers will, you know, respectfully not celebrate against old clubs, he brought out the biggest celebration in potentially the history of football um, right in front of the Tigers faithful. So he's... He has etched a uh, everlasting moment in my brain, and for all the wrong reasons. But uh, that's right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, yeah, to, to think about that now. Yeah, well, at least no. you know, mate. He didn't he didn't score in any big games for us anyway, mate. So that's why we had to celebrate. <laughs> that's, that's right. But, but what a what a what a reminder to us that always fear the uh, the ex player, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Always the way, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, no worries. Like, thank you both for joining me for this one. We'll um, we'll we'll try and be back probably for the next international break to to cover the second half of this season. And it's it's really the start of a pretty golden era. So it'll be a lot of fun to look back on uh, the next couple of seasons as well over the uh, over the next few months. I suspect as we we look back on that Bruce era and the uh, the Premier League heights that we reached with it. So thanks for joining me, Logan. No worries, Alex. Good to be here. No worries, and thanks as well, Brad. Thanks for having me. No problem. And thanks, everyone, for listening in for this special episode of the Tigers Down Under. We'll be back next week to recap on the uh, the league action that City's just been in over the past weekend and look ahead to uh, the resumption of our fixtures in the championship as well. So, so don't miss that one either. But until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter, at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning back, cause you're out.